Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Firstly, a quick announcement. I get a lot of people contacting me asking how they can work with me. So this is a little plug to let you know that I offer a range of services to vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs. From online training and group coaching to PR, content creation and copywriting services and one-on-one tailored individual private consultations. So if you're wanting help to promote or grow your vegan business, brand, product, service, book or other creative project, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com and click on the work with me menu link for more details. Now for the main part of the show. My guest today is James McInnes, co-founder of Odd Burger, vegan fast food chain in Ontario, Canada. Now, James, who was a software executive, was diagnosed with high blood pressure in 2014 and changed his lifestyle for the better by going vegan. He and his wife, Leah, began developing their own plant-based meats and were soon selling vegan meal kits featuring local ingredients. But they couldn't shake the idea that what the world needed was vegan fast food at a price that could compete with animal foods. In 2016, they debuted a food truck with a chickpea burger they called the Big McInnes, after James's surname, earning them, wait for it, a cease and desist from McDonald's. <laughs> and they knew they were onto something. Now, formerly called Globally Local, Odd Burger produces its own meat and dairy alternatives for use in its restaurants. In April 2021, the company went public and plans to have 20 locations by this time next year. James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. Wow, you've had quite the journey in just a few years from having the concept to going public and, and really kind of scaling up. So before we get into that the business side, I, I've just got to ask, because I know people are going to be thinking this, you went vegan for your health, but fast food isn't necessarily always associated with health. So just tell us a little bit about that briefly um, and why you believe that the fast food category is the right place to disrupt the food industry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think initially I went vegan for health reasons. And I mean, for me, it's turned into an ethical reason, hence the, the fast food component. I think the more vegan I became, the more that I like the idea of a vegan fast food chain. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. So, speak, right? so um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think there was a shift for me from, from obviously doing it for health reasons to doing it primarily now for animals and the environment. So um, that's, that's primarily why I'm vegan. And that's why I think, I think that that's why we got into the fast food space, you know? Um, and I think the, the reason that we love the fast food space is just, I think it's the transformative power of that industry. And, the the um, and also I think the the deep cultural connection that we all have to fast food. Um, there is a very deep cultural connection that we have, and I think it comes from maybe our childhood and our upbringings, that kind of stuff. And I think what and and what I love about it is that the idea that you can change culture and you can change 
um, you know, you can you can change um, how people think, obviously, and they can do that through fast food. I think it's a, it's a great um, channel of doing that. So that's why uh, that's why we are in the fast food space. It's just the, the power of making change. I think is tremendous. And and uh, and to be honest, there's not there's there's really very few, few other uh, people doing it. Um, I think at a, at a big scale. Got it. And I suppose at the end of the day. You know, vegan fast food is healthier and better than animal-based fast food. So you get the get a tick there. Um, so you you started with the vegan meal kits, um, and you learned that people loved your fast food recipe. So you started the food uh, truck, and then you got the letter from McDonald's, the cease and desist. So tell us a bit about that. Like, what happened when you got it? Did you consider fighting it? I mean, I know they're a big multinational corporation, but it is your surname. Um, so I'm just curious um, about what 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 you decided to do and how you've actually managed to leverage it regardless yeah i mean i, I mean i guess you, you know when, when you're uh, i think being a startup you know we were always very like that scrappy rebellious uh type of organization and we still are to be honest um you know i, I always consider us somewhat of an activist organization because our mission is very much uh you know ethically aligned so but but you know I, th I think initially the the when we first got that cease and desist order I mean it's scary as as a as a small business you know you get like a hundred page document uh, with all this evidence and we you know we've in frames on this here and that there so um, because you know to to be honest though we we were uh, we were happy in in a way to get it because I think what it showed is that there is something that they're afraid of and something that uh, is is scary to them too and. And I think what's scary to the these people who are exploiting the planet and are you know destroying the world is that there's someone that can uh, can do that can can say um, provide the same type of uh, fast food experience without doing that in a sustainable way in a kind way and I think that is scary to them I think they're the fast food chains they're all trying to position themselves now as this, this as this uh, well I, I guess I'll call it the sustainable myth you know that uh, you know that McDonald's somehow can make uh, you know can make um, uh, you know, a hamburger from a cow sustainable. It's obviously not possible. So I think, I think there was that deep sort of, um, uh, th that deep threat, obviously. Um, and, and also, you know, to be honest, just these big companies have to defend their, their marks anyway. Um, it's, it's just kind of for them, like, I don't think it's anything personal. It's just that this is just part of being a big company. You, you know, you, you need to, if you don't defend your mark, then you kind of you lose it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a combination of both, but but for us, uh, it kind of told us something and really motivated us to, to go down that path more, I think, and, and explore it. And that's kind of has taken us to here. So um, we didn't really consider fighting it because honestly, we, we at the time, there's no way we could have hired lawyers and all that kind of stuff to, to fight it. And it's just easier to kind of give up and to say, okay, we'll just, we'll change the name. <laughs> so and that's what we did. We just kind of moved on. So. And you changed it, which I quite like, to the famous burger, and you've actually leveraged what happened, even though you had to change the name, you've, you've leveraged what happened. And I guess that can be a talking point, like if people say, well, what is a famous, why, why have you called it the famous burger? You know, you've got that little kind of back Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think that I think that led into a whole bunch of funny menu items where you're kind of now, you're, you're in a situation where you're kind of like making fun of it all. Um, and that's well, who can guess what the famous burger is, you know, and it, it's, it, it, I think it, it, it actually ended up being better in, in, in many ways, uh, both for the brand and for the interest. And, and also just, I think, 
from just uh, having a little a bit of sense of humor, which I think is always a, is a good thing with any brand. Is, you know, yeah, definitely. Sort of funny side, something that people can connect with and have a little laugh about, and it's always, it's always good to have. I love that. So hopefully there's a bit of inspiration for anyone. If you do get a cease and desist from any of the big companies, think how you can leverage that and use it as a talking point. I love that. Thanks for sharing that, um, James. So you ran the food truck. Um, you started with the food truck. How long did you run the food truck for before you decided to open your first uh, restaurant location? And what did you learn from running the food truck in, in opening the restaurant? Yeah, I mean, we probably ran the food truck for about only four months before we opened okay. up our first brick and mortar. So we, we got the food truck in uh, 2016 and probably September. And we, by December, by the end of December, we opened our first restaurant. Um, what, why did you decide to do that? Like, why did you not continue for longer with the food truck? What, what, what made you well, go Well, I mean, in, I mean in Canada, it's cold. So uh, you can't run a food truck <laughs> uh, in the winter up here anyway. Not that, not that I, I haven't seen anyone try it. Uh, I, you, you'd probably freeze to death on that. On, on the <laughs> you know, the metal floors just suck all the heat out. So uh, basically, uh, is because we had such strong demand for what we we're doing, and we knew that we, you know, basically we had two options: either close up, you know, open next season in, in the spring, wait for winter to be over, or you know, we kind of uh, we kind of go and get a brick and mortar, allowing us to operate all year. So that's what we did. We ended up finding, um, uh, you know, a place that we could. We, we, we sort of took over the lease and um, we launched our first brick and mortar just so we could continue operating because there was such strong demand for what we we're doing. We, we didn't want to lose that kind of momentum and leave mm -hmm. people hanging uh, for their cravings because they, they, they get very angry when they can't satisfy their, their fast food <laughs> So And especially we, in winter as well. You want that comfort food as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Totally. Now, I noticed, um, James, you've got currently on your website, it says you've currently got about five restaurants um, with a couple more due to open in Ontario. Can you talk us through how you scaled your restaurant business? Because running one business, restaurant business, you know, is, is kind of pretty full on, but to actually have several. So how did you manage to do that? And how did you know when and where to open each restaurant so that it would be sustainable? So, I mean, I guess you start with the food because to scale any restaurant, you need consistent food. And that's the most important thing. So what we what we developed is we launched a food manufacturing center in 2018 because we knew that especially in fast food, consistency is everything. You know, people literally just want the same thing forever. They don't want you to change it. They don't want anything different. They just want it the same every single time, wherever they are. That's the magic of fast food, actually. So... So we really worked on that consistency by taking out, you know, virtually all, like, like none of the food is really made in the restaurant. It's finished in the restaurant. We call the restaurant or like where we actually finish the food. But really it's the, all the proteins are manufactured uh, by us in our own manufacturing center. And the proteins are especially formed, especially made to match our cooking equipment in the restaurant. So we can cook made to order food in like under a minute. Um, so that's kind of, it's, it's, it's a bit of obviously magic with that. And and then also the restaurant side, again, along with consistency, is making it simple. So it's always about simplifying your menu, simplifying your um, your cooking process and your training process. So we focus a lot on that, like making things really easy to cook. And that's where, you know, our smart kitchens come in. And our, we call them smart kitchens because everything is like push button pre-programmed. So you want to cook a burger, you put it in this special machine, you press a a button and it comes out in a minute perfectly cooked every time so like we haven't burned a burger in like two years ever since we launched this technology so um, things that are, are 
are, are typically a problem in the restaurant isn't business like oh my burger was overcooked or undercooked or whatever you know our food literally is always cooked the same because it's it's done by a computer right so um so our you know again our my background in technology our, our our focus on technology i think was a big way that we were able to be consistent and to scale it because because you need to develop the systems to scale any business right and that's where it's all about the technology and being a technology expert myself, it really came in handy when I applied that knowledge to the restaurant industry. Wow. Wow. I love that. What would happen, that, like, given that tech, tech is great when it works, but it's a disaster when it, when it doesn't? So, I mean, how have you got any, like, anything in place that if the technology breaks down, like, are you still able to, you know, carry on making stuff? Like, what happens if there's a, a crash, if you like? For sure. I mean, all those are part of like any, you know, I mean, it's like any good, any good sort of like um, technology company will have redundancy plans, right? It's like, okay, uh, for example, if our internet goes out, we can run offline. So we have, for example, like our restaurants are, they're primarily cashless. Uh, so we have all self-checkout. We actually don't have a cashier. Um, it's all like, we have the, the big kind of touch screens. Um, and, uh, but for example, if your internet goes down, then what happens? Well, we have like a, a dev machines that runs on the cellular network. That can run offline to our internet, and the restaurant can run in offline mode. So you have a mode where right. you can run offline, for example. So um, it, a lot of that is is about you know uh, just having redundancies, also just having the, having repair technicians available to come quickly. You know, is the other thing. So we have you know service contracts where if something happens, like they're there in like a couple hours. So if it's a critical piece of machinery, like say our fryer goes down or something, because our fryer actually is a complex piece of machinery. It's very it's a very advanced piece of equipment. Uh, it's not like your standard kind of restaurant fryer. It's a more of a fast food fryer. So it's again a lot of computer stuff in there and a lot of automation. And you know when it breaks, then you can't fix it. You got to call somebody, sort of thing, most of the time. So. So again, I think it's 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 part of just like setting up those plans of redundancy. But you know, it's always a risk in any business. You know, failure points and something we're always like looking at, considering. Yeah, that's interesting, fascinating with the, the you know a big fast food going high tech in that way. You mentioned um, that you've got your, your smart kitchens and you've also got the self serve, so the self checkout. Um, and I guess what are some of the advantages of that? I guess uh, um, you you have you need fewer staff, um, so I guess that can help. The restaurant to be more sustainable but again I suppose you've got the challenges of um, people who might not know like I know for example I use the self-serve checkout for the supermarket and, you know if you put your bag in the wrong place you know you get bagging alert and then a member of staff has to come and and fix it and there's people who particularly come to the first time and they're kind of like what do I do and they might be standing there staring at it so how do you sort of navigate that or how have you managed to navigate that? Well, I think it's like any good service. It's a, any business in the service sector. Like you have to still provide good service to, to customers. So it's it's like technology is not an excuse to kind of like provide that service. So, you know, for us, you know, I think having good technology actually allows our staff to provide better service because they can focus more on service and less on more of the redundant tasks that say like normally like you know someone that's cooking a burger would do or somebody that's like bringing someone in at the cash register. You know, so if someone needs help with a kiosk, like a member of the staff can just come around and just help them out. You know what I mean? Help them to use it or ring in the order for them at the kiosk. So that kind of stuff is just part of good service. And, you know, because I think because our staff are, um, you know, more efficient and they're able to, you know, our kitchen actually is, is, uh, is in the front of house. So customers can see us cooking 
They can they oh. can see the food. It's all right there, right? And all of our staff are all in front. There's no one like hidden at the back of the restaurant where you can't talk to anybody. All of our staff are there. And, and I think that having these kind of design elements and then using our technology gives us that great service. And I think that and I think that's what, what customers love about coming to our restaurant. They get great service, great food, it's made fast, they consistently, it's priced right, all those kind of things. And you need all that to succeed. You know, because you, you can't just be a high-tech restaurant and have, you know, robots making things and have no service. That people, they want to feel like they're talking to a person, you know. And because of all that, you know, we're able to pay our staff more. They're able to make more in tips. They're able to make, uh, so it benefits the staff too, right, um, the technology um, in, in many ways. And, uh, in, you know, for us, I know with COVID, it's been, it's been tough for people to, get staff and retain staff, but we haven't, we haven't had those, uh, those problems because again, um, we have a, we have a, I think a really compelling reason to work at a restaurant for anyone in the food industry. Um, obviously it's vegan, which is a great reason to work here, but also it's, uh, I think our compensation is, is, um, is way above where others are at in, in the, in the, in the food space. So. Well, I love that. Now, you mentioned that you're able to keep the prices down. I know that's a big thing with vegan and plant-based foods is trying to, you know, particularly when you're going up against, you know, the big kind of giants who, you know, the prices are really low, really cheap. So how have you managed to do that? I noticed you mentioned earlier that you have your own production facility. So you're creating your own products rather than having to buy in like third party burgers or you know other stuff made by other companies. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how you've managed to achieve that? Uh, price parity. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, again, it, it, it obviously uh, the making the food is one of the big components, right? That we can really control the cost. I mean, we can't control all costs because we still have to buy the raw ingredients. So, I mean, we're not totally insulated from raw costs, but we are insulated from you know the the um, you know if someone decides to increase the price of your burger, like what are you gonna do about it? There's not much you can do about it, right? So. For us, we, we just control more of that supply chain and that gives us more control over, over what we do. So for example, um, you know, we, we recently did a, uh, you know, a lot of um, investment in our manufacturing center and, and really like, I think that's uh, as an example, it just, you become more efficient, right? At, in, in your manufacturing center. So you can reduce your own costs by investing into your processes, right? So. Those kind of things, I think, make a huge difference. Um, and again, it's the investment in tech. It all it always comes back to the investment in technology, implementation, implementation of technology, whether that's at our manufacturing center or at our restaurant. That's how we stay competitive. We stay competitive because we have better technology, we're smarter, we have better systems, simpler systems, easier to deploy, easier to scale. Um, you know, yes, uh, you know, there are savings in certain aspects with staff, but then again, you know, we have more staff doing other things. So, you know, I would say we, we're providing more higher skilled jobs, um, which I think is a good thing, you know what I mean? So, um, so I, th I think, I think you kind of, when you put all that together, I think it, it allows us to really uh, provide a product that is higher quality, uh, lower cost, and ultimately better value for customers. And that's, I don't think a lot of people are doing that in the plant-based space. I think that's, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a, that's a big kind of criticism is that like, Oh, I need a, I need a veggie burger more often, but you know, it's expensive. Um, it's expensive to go to vegan restaurants, expensive to buy vegan proteins. It's all just really expensive. Um, which I know, I know that's kind of part of that, you know, this, the, 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 um, 
the journey of, of you know, I think of, all, of any of any new product is, is kind of, you start at a certain price point and you you get that down with, with scalability. So I think it is improving, but but again, it's always been our focus from the start. So I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty successful. Yeah, I love that. Now, how many of your current restaurants, because you've got a few, how many of those are franchises and how many of those do you own outright at the moment? So, um, yeah, so we were just launching our fifth corporate store uh, and we have one franchise and we we have another franchise actually that's opening out west in Calgary, Alberta. Um, so we are actually doing a lot more franchising um, in addition to in, in conjunction with corporate stores. So it's, it's part of our strategy in and uh, for us, having a mixture of both, I think, is a good thing. So we are doing a, a, a big push in franchising as well. But um, and, and why are you doing that, um, James? Like, why have you chosen the franchise model? Um, and what's involved as well, I guess, in, uh, you know, in someone wanting to buy a franchise from an existing business? Any tips you can offer there? Well, a, a, fran- a franchise is, is a, it's a great way of scaling, right? Because, uh, number one, you know, it's less capital intensive. For, the, for you as a company, because the franchisee is putting up the capital to to invest in the store, and also, but and most importantly, is that there is somebody that is on the ground, boots in the ground, in in a geographic area that is very distant from from you, right? Like our management sort of center of our management world is in like southwestern Ontario. If I want to open, you know, a restaurant in Vancouver, that's you know thousands of kilometers away, um, I could do that, but you know, I would have to hope and trust that I can create a management structure there, which I mean, can be done. It's not like it's impossible. You can do it, but there's something amazing about having, having someone that's invested in the business uh, being that person that ultimately is going to uh, make sure that, 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 op- that operation is going to run well, because the most important thing for us is that we are growing and that we are um, spreading, uh, you know, more plant-based food around the world and fr- franchising helps us do that, helps us scale out. Right. So, um, and, you know, and, and also it's that local knowledge, right? Like I don't necessarily know like all the intricacies of, you know, uh, every city. Right. Um, so when you're a local in that city, you understand the good areas, you understand, you know, the best times to be open. There's certain things that, you know, and there's a network there that you have that, that we all have to our local communities. And I think that really taps into that. So, Anyone that's looking for a franchise, you know, in our in our company, um, I mean, there's information on our website. You can go to our website and go to the about section. There's it answers a bunch of questions like, here's how much the investment is, here here's how much it costs. Um, it is obviously a significant investment, um, but then again, you know, I I feel like it's a great business. So, um, and and it's a growing business. It's a growing. Uh, it's a it's a it's a growing industry. Right. So it's a good it's a it's an early time to get into into this into this uh, into the sector, I think. And I think it's it's um, you kind of have the advantage of uh, first market, which I think is a big advantage. Right. So you're, if, you, if you can open, say, the first fast food, vegan fast food restaurant in wherever it is, like, you know, Dallas, Texas or wherever it is, you know, I think there's there's I think that's a compelling um, it's something that's very compelling uh, as a franchisee you know, when you're looking at different concepts. So that's kind of like the background of that. So, uh, yeah, but anyone that's interested, I think, in, in developing their business as a franchise, and uh, it, it takes a lot of time, effort. You have to really focus on the systems. And, and again, you have to make it easy for someone else to operate. And I think uh, we've spent a lot of, many years, you know, working on that. Um, so because we want it to be easy to operate it for ourselves. Right? And I think it's good that you've, 
got more than one business because sometimes I see businesses that have maybe got one restaurant and then they're like oh yeah I want to expand and do a franchise but it's like well you've only proved that you can run one restaurant like and I think because you've got several you've proved that you can do that so it kind of gives the franchisee more confidence and then you give them all the training and like they said they can kind of they're buying into that whole system and it's almost like a plug and play um kind of thing so well, well yeah because you know the thing is you most franchisees they want to be multi-store operators you know what I mean? Like um, that that's kind of like the the name of the game in franchising, right? Like it's great to, it's okay to have one restaurant, but it's better to have 10. You know what I mean? It's just, so we need to show people how to run 10 restaurants, right? Yeah. Because if we don't know how to do it, if we haven't done it ourselves, like how can we ever show anyone how to do it? Um, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that we, you know, we're, that's what we're doing now. We're running, like running a bunch of restaurants and, that's going great, basically. So, um, which is good, and and I think as any franchisee, they when you look at that system, you, you, that you you need to have that kind of vision, and you need to see that it's possible. Um, especially in the like, like we're still in the early stages stages of franchising. So, um, and uh, obviously as you grow, and now we have other franchisees open five stores or ten stores. I mean, then then I think you you start to really get a lot of momentum in the franchising. Uh, a field because people sort of say, well, hey, if this guy or this woman uh, did it, like I can maybe do it too, right? So it's um, uh, that's kind of what it's all about is is that having that model for them to follow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, you see, you've, you've as you mentioned, you've achieved a lot. Like you've literally, you know, scaled quite quickly already so far. And I know you've got bigger plans, but can you talk about? And I know it's been going really well, which is great. But can you talk about some of the challenges that you've experienced? Because I don't want people to think, oh, this is just super easy. I'm going to do this. If you can just talk through, because especially because well, this wasn't your background. I believe you were a, a software executive, and I know you've implemented that into the the restaurant business which is great but just tell us a little bit about maybe a couple of the challenges you've experienced and and what advice do you have for anyone who's looking to launch and scale a business yeah i mean i mean it's the the easiest part of the business is is starting it you know it's kind of like that's like the easy part i know people think like oh it's and and i mean don't get wrong it is it is also hard to start a business it's hard to going from being in a place where you're working for someone else to starting a business it's a very different mindset and you know, not everyone can make that kind of transition. But I think, um, you know, I think I think the, the the challenge there is sort of like, you know, how do you actually grow it? That is the real challenge, I think, in in in, in certainly in the restaurant business is because growing is the hard part. You know, you, you need to be able to like manage people, build teams, get other people to do the work that normally you would do because you know, like. I can't be at every restaurant. I have other things to do, like run a public company. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Even though I'd love to be there, I can't, I don't have time to watch every burger that goes out and you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so, so, so the question is, is like, how do you scale it and maintain the integrity that of the original business? Cause what, what often happens when, when people scale businesses is everything kind of falls apart. The quality goes down, your service goes down, you know, uh, your reviews go down and all that kind of stuff. So, and, what we're seeing, certainly in our reviews, is the opposite is happening. Our reviews are better now than they've ever been. The more restaurants we open, the better reviews get. So it, it, it's it's a it's a symbol of, our, of I think our success in, in, in scaling. And and you know, uh, to be fair, you know, we put a lot of uh, effort into that beforehand. And it, and it's actually it's it's hard to hold yourself back from growing. Sometimes you have to wait 
until you have those systems in place to grow. And it, it, and it can be frustrating because, you know, you, you kind of see maybe some of the people in the space and, oh, they're, you know, how are they growing so quickly? They're doing, they launched five restaurants. I've only launched one. But the thing is, you know, if you're investing in the systems and the technology and all that kind of stuff, then you can go to a hundred restaurants and maybe they, they can only get to 10, you know? So I think by investing in that, uh, you're, you're really kind of like setting yourself for, uh, for that future growth. So that's the hard part is developing the systems, developing the technology, developing the, you know, um, is, is sort of managing that growth and being able to do it at the right time. And I guess part of that as well is the investment, like being able to invest. Um, and I know obviously capital and, you know, funding is always a big thing for businesses. Can you tell us a bit about how the business has been funded? Obviously, you went public in April this year, as we know. But before that, how was the business uh, funded and why? Well, I mean, it started out by it was just it was just, you know, my wife and I primarily investing, you know, putting our own money into it. Obviously, that's where I think all businesses mostly start. Right. It's your it's blood, sweat and tears. Um but um, but you know we we got an investor uh, fairly you know a couple of years ago when we were launching a manufacturing center and again with the vision of scaling it right and that was the sort of the the um, you know the, the pitch I guess right so um, and I, and I think um, I think we just kind of you, you you just kind of build off of your success right it's like okay you set your milestones we hit our milestones and then you kind of reach those and you get more investment. So a lot of our investment uh, was, you know, um, just angel investing initially, right? Uh, also some friends and family, but actually the friends and family investments came later on. We actually got investors first. And the friends and family actually joined, they actually came on board more in the like IPO stage for us. They actually came on later. Maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't think we could, we could pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted some proof. <laughs> Right, right. Exactly. But I guess, they, they sort of proved, I guess they were like, okay, like, like it's ready now. You're, you're going public and we're ready to invest. So it was kind of a, <laughs> uh, maybe that's a kind of a funny situation. But but um, yeah, that's how, kind of how it was for us. And then obviously going public for us was was a big, you know, that was our, our, our um, biggest amount of capital we raised yet. Which, I mean, to be fair, it still isn't that much capital. We were pretty conservative when we raised Lovely. And we'll talk about going capital in a second. Do you think it um, it helped, like the fact that you got an investor quite early on, do you think it helped that you, even though you had this big vision of scaling, and I know a lot of investors do want to, you know, they don't, I know a lot of investors say, I don't want to invest in just a single restaurant, like I want to see the, the option for scaling. But do you think it helped that you had both that vision for scaling, but also that you were starting local in Ontario and not kind of going, right, I want to open one in New York or I want to create this international market and this internet from the beginning. Well, for sure. I mean, I mean, again, this is, this is, it's part of like, I think it's part of that like idea of like, are you building a real business or are you just building a business to raise capital? You know, and I think, I think there's two, mm -hmm. there's two strategies there. I'm not saying one's better than the other. I mean, a lot of people sort of just raise a lot of capital on a vision and then build a business from that. Uh, and other people build a business, raise capital. I think we were very much on the, on the side of like, you know, we, we really believe in number one, building a great business first, you know, building a business that we believed in, right. That, that, uh, that, that, um, you know, we wanted, um, you know, we only wanted people to invest in when we thought it was the right time, you know? So, and, and a time which would reduce risk for, our investors because we really I think we really kind of took it seriously like we always really wanted our investors to to do well <laughs> make a good investment in us you know and I think along the way what ended up what ended up happening is that was the case because 
you know, with every kind of round, your value, our valuation went up until the point where we got public and, you know, until the point we're at now. So I think that going through that journey with your investors, but us also, we, you know, we are the biggest investors in our company, you know, so we're, we are the most invested, right? We have the most to lose. And I think it's an important thing as if, um, if you're investing in a company, you know, you know that the people running the company are, you know, the founders and, and they have everything to lose. They're going to fight the hardest for their own investment and yours. Right. And I think that's, it's important. I think, I think sometimes what can happen when you, um, you know, you raise a lot of money early on, you give up a lot of that ownership, a lot of control, yeah. you know, now you only own 2% of the company. Do you care that much what happens to the company if you only own like one or 2%? I mean, maybe, you know, because you're doing it for ethical reasons, which is great. I'm not saying that, you know, just because you own one or 2%, you don't care. But I, I think that when you own 50%, you care a little bit more than when you own, you know, 1%. So um, you have more skin in the game, so to speak. I think it's, uh, uh, there must be a, a, a vegan, um, skin on the apple yeah no yeah. I, I love that i think you made some really interesting points there i think that that's really great so why did you decide to go public because that brings with it its own challenges um and it's not cheap I, I believe even on the canadian stock market it's still quite an investment so why did you decide to go public you know, I think for us, it was a lot of it was this idea of making sure that our vision was really unchanged and we were able to execute the vision. Um, I always had such a fear of like giving up a huge amount of control to some VC, some venture capitalist organization who they just want to flip it and they'll sell your company to the highest bidder. And if it means like, hey, we got to put in like, we got to put in some meat burgers in here or throw a bit of cheese options for, you know, dairy cheese uh, options. Like sort of like, I, I was always very worried about like people saying like, Oh, if we can make an extra like 3% on our revenue, we'll, we'll, we'll throw all our values in the window and who cares? You know what I mean? So we really, cause, cause it's, it, it's not the reason we started the company. It's not the reason that we are here. You know, we're not here to make money from it. We're here to, you know, execute a vision and like make change, right? So, um, so I think for us, we 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 just believe that it, if we if we when we went public, that number one, um, we could allow other people to join that easier, right? So instead of us raising a whole bunch of money from you know some very rich wealthy investors that you know are part of like a venture capital group, giving your everyday average consumer, the ability to invest in our vision and invest in our company and invest in us. Um, that's what you get when you're a public company because anyone can go out anywhere in the world and buy, you know, $5 in shares in our company. You know, there is no minimum investment. There is no barriers. There is no, nothing stopping anyone from, from, you know, putting their money into what we're, what we're doing. And I, and that's, that was very attractive to us because I felt like it would almost, it would actually kept, keeps us more grassroots. It really does keep, keeps our investor base actually more retail and more connected to, to our customers and to, um, to people who share our vision. And that was so important to us. So those are the reasons that, that I think we went public. And I think they were all great reasons for us. Yeah. And what advice would you have, um, James, for any companies to know when they're ready to go public? Like you obviously knew the time was right. Any advice and tips on on how a business can go? OK, I think now now we're ready. Well, I, I think, you know, I think it's a it's a it's actually kind of an interesting question because 
you know, um, for, for us, it was kind of like, you have to also look at what's happening in the world and the market. And there's, there's that element too. It's not just, oh, I, hey, I want to go public. Like, you know, it's also like, is the market like into what you're doing? Are the brokers like interested in this? Is it the right time? Because like, you know, if we try to go public like two, you know, say two years ago, like maybe it wouldn't happen. Or if we would have tried to go public two years from now, maybe it wouldn't happen. So a lot of it is the timing. And, and that timing is reflective. Like, what is, what is the market like? What are the market conditions like? And I think it's something that, you know, just with my background in, in finance, it was, it was kind of advantageous because I could see that, that the plant-based, you know, investment market was something that was really about to boom. So we wanted to sort of get into that and ride that sort of boom and that sort of, because there, there is such an interest now, I think, in, 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 you know, investing for sustainability. And we wanted to be part of that. We didn't want to kind of be like left, left out of that. So, you know, again, for us, it was, it was kind of timing. We were doing the right thing in the right place at the right time, kind of a unique, a new, unique kind of concept, um, which is disrupting fast food through plant-based, uh, you know, um, our plant-based concept. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, you know, it, that, that question really would change for, for, I think each company, but for us, that was the reason, um, you know, if you're beyond meat or just egg, I think they would probably have a different reason for doing it on a different timing, you know, again, I, Someone coming from this as not like a venture capital group, um, coming to public, that's how we viewed it. Um, I think, you know, I think they probably do things differently because they have a lot of, you know, VC funding in, in their organizations, which is nothing wrong with it, but they're going to have different re reasons and rationales and timings for going public because for them, uh, they need to get a return. And typically, yeah. VCs go public to get their money out. Uh, okay. um, at least some of it, right? Um, yeah. So, um, uh, but for us, that wasn't the case. We still own all the shares that we had in public, and we don't plan on ever selling them. So that's kind of where we're at. With, Amazing. With that. It was, that was a very different reason for us. I love it. Now, I want to talk about the name, because you spent years building a brand called Globally Local. Did I say that right? Globally Local. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then you changed it. So you built up this audience, this brand, you got your social media and everything. And um, and then you changed it. So first of all, why? Um, and why to Oddburger? Well, yeah, the reason why we're, we're sort of multifaceted, but let me just start with this. I mean, we were obviously, we're obviously, you know, seriously looking at expanding the US market. So we're looking uh, right now very, very accurately for a site in Manhattan uh, and also other places in the States. So our goal is obviously to, to enter the US market in a big way. So, um, and uh, to be honest, our the name will be local, uh, we just did not have the trademark for it. And it was already trademarked in the food uh, sector. And uh, it just, it would have been um, difficult for us to I think potentially like use that name in the States. So so that was that was the, you know, the sort of practical reason why we did it. We, to, to grow, we needed a name that was, I guess, more unique. And Oddbroker was that name, so that was that was the the one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it too was that you know we 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 hired some really great branding companies, um, some companies that I worked with. Uh, one of them worked with um, with the Toronto Raptors, which is obviously a big basketball you know uh, basketball team in the uh, uh, up here. So um, uh, so we worked with some really big branding companies to sort of look at what we do and look at our customers and say like how can we what is the best way of connecting with our customers? And, and the customers, not just 
you know, people that are vegan, but more importantly, people that aren't vegan because our because we are primarily targeting people that have never tried plant-based food or have never tried vegan fast food because that is the 98% of the market. We're targeting the 98% of the market. So the question is, is, is what is a brand that's gonna that, that is going to um, communicate what we do? And what we do is we our food is it is not it is not your standard food. It is not your typical fast food. In a lot of ways, it's odd. It's very odd uh, for someone that is. It's it's like oh, I'm eating a vegan version of my favorite fast food. You know, and that's that's something that's that's it's not it's it. There's an intrigue there. And I think what what it what it did is it allowed us to connect to better connect with people that are not vegan. And um, and I mean, since our launch, it's been really successful. I think I think it has had a positive impact. And I think it is a more memorable name and something that people can connect with more. And I think I think um, it's it's ultimately a better brand. And I think when you kind of like, but it is such a hard decision to change your brand. It was probably one of the hardest decisions we've ever made because here you are, we're a public company launched out of this brand. And sort of the realization that like we have to change it all now is is super hard. But it's one of those decisions where you have to kind of rip the mandate off and sometimes make the hard decisions early on because it's going to get harder later on. Like it's harder to rebrand when you have 50 stores and then you have to change all the signage. You have to change all your murals and the, and, and the cost rebranding is huge for us. It was, it was a great time because we, we were just down to one store at the time. We had closed one of our locations because we were moving it. So we were, it was kind of the low point in the number of sites we had. And it was just a great time to, if we were going to rebrand, it was like the best time to do it. So we sort of bit the bullet and we launched, it was super scary to, to announce because you have people that are like, oh, I hate the name. And I, you know, <laughs> why are you calling vegans odd? And it's, you're horrible for doing that. And we're not odd, they're odd, you know. But all that kind of controversy, in my opinion, is a good thing because it gets people talking about it. And it gets people that are vegan and not vegan talking, which is, which honestly has always been our vision or our goal in with with Odd Burger. Like, let's get the discussion happening. So people are talking about it. You know what I mean? Because only through, I think only through discussion and education are we going to get real progress. So, um, so I think I think that was kind of like um, you know, interesting side benefit. But there's always like a, everyone has a strong opinion. You know, oh, you should have called it this, and should have called it that, and you should, you know. But there's a lot that goes into the name, and a lot of it is like you know. Is it, can you get the trademark? Can you get the domain name? Can you get the, you know, can you get all those factors together um, uh, and, and can you actually use it? Cause you know, it's easy to say, oh, we'll call it this, but is it is it actually, can you actually realize that vision? So in the end for us, that was on burger and, you know, we're super happy um, with it. I think we're, you know, we're, we're excited for, for it to enter into the US market. I think it's something that the American consumer is gonna love. It, was it challenging, for example, like for, I know, for example, when you change a name, like then like on Instagram, for example, um, you lose that URL. Like, because I noticed, like, if you go to Instagram.com with Globally Local, it says, sorry, this page doesn't exist because now it's moved to Oddburger. So how did you navigate, like, just hanging on to um, your existing customers? Well, I mean, actually, when you, when you change handles, so you, you don't lose your followers. So that's the main thing. You know, um, so people that were following you before are just, they kind of switch over. So, um, but yeah, navigating all that sort of like, like um, transition is, was hard because, you know, um, you don't change your Instagram handle very often. At least I, I don't. So um, there's, there's a lot of like sort of research and thought that goes into this stuff. And, you know, I think we, 
um, you know, I think, I think for us, it was, it was just a matter of like really kind of researching and understanding, like, you know, this is going to impact you. This is not going to impact you. Like, uh, how do we redirect our, you know, people that are going to still type in globalical.ca? How does that now redirect over to mind.com? And, you know, all those things that consider nothing incredibly hard about it, just a lot of little things to think about. So, and, um, you know, and to be honest, we're still sort of catching things like, oh, it still says globally local on the footer of our allergy guide or something. You know, there's, there's always like little spots where it's still existing and, 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 you know, it's okay. We're, you know, fix that. And, and you're, you know, we're always kind of like, um, uh, we're always, you know, looking for those little, little things that are still need to be fixed. But yeah, the, the rebranding process is a monstrous task and, you know, don't do it unless you, you have to, like, like unless you're in our situation where you just need to, to grow. Um, yeah. And, and especially uh, if you've got a business with physical premises like you have and the branding, you know what I mean? If you've got an online business, it's maybe a little bit easier. But like you said, if you had loads of stores and then all of the signage and the menus and, you know, and all the physical stuff has to be changed, oh, that's kind of even even more of a, a monster oh, yeah. to do. So, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a huge task. But, you know, it, it's worth it. I think it's it's at the end of the day, if if um, it, branding is so important, right? It, it is, it is everything. Right. And, and I think, you know, to have a good brand is, is, um, is necessary to really get to the next level. Right. Because yeah, if your brand definitely. isn't great and your name isn't great and, you know, then, you know, you're just not going to connect with the consumer in the way that others are. So it's really important to have, to, have, to really spend a lot of time and effort in that brand. We did, we spent so much time and effort. Um, and yeah. we had incredible, people that we worked with that helped us through our process, real professionals that were just, you know, the, the best in the industry to kind of like guide us. Cause it's, it's not something that um, I would recommend people do on their own. That's for sure. Yeah. I know you've shared some really good tips there. I think, you know, particularly if people do want to scale and you want to go global, particularly around the domain name and the trademark and all that sort of thing, which you don't necessarily think about when you first think, oh, I'm just starting an initial small business. So I think that's, that's really um, brilliant advice that you've offered through, throughout this, um, James. Is there anything you want to add? I know you've mentioned, I was going to ask you about just finally to wrap up about future plans. You've mentioned you want to hit the US market. So I'm curious, because you've got your own production facility in Canada, like when you go into international markets, you know, if you're going into the US, maybe you might go into the European market. Do you foresee having your own production facilities and having to set those up in those different locations or trying rather than trying to obviously ship everything from Canada? Well, I think it's one of those things where, you know, you, you kind of have to go in, in stages, right? Because, you know, obviously you want to like, you want to, um, uh, you want to make sure that you're reducing your risk, of course, but but you also want to, um, you, you know, want to sort of like get your feet wet, I think, in, in a new market, make sure that things are are going the way you think they were and that kind of stuff. So for us, for example, when we launched in the, launched in the States, uh, we're most likely going to be shipping food from Canada to the States mm-hmm. initially, even though the cost is going to be higher, obviously you're going to have higher shipping costs and it's, it's, you know, uh, it's a factor, but, uh, but the thing is, you know, while we, while we build that U S business, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much in the mindset, like, like let's let the, let's let the data drive our decisions. You know what I mean? Like if the, if, if our, if the brand is loved in the U S market, if the food is loved, if it, if it's, if it does really well, then let's, put more investment into it. And if not, then let's evaluate why and figure it out. You know what I mean? Because that makes a lot um, of sense. Yeah. So James, you know, will yeah. will the product you said the shipping cost will be higher shipping from Canada to the US. Will you as a business wear that cost or will that mean the burgers or the food will be slightly more expensive in the US? How and how do you 
Like well, yeah, no, I think, I think, I think you always have to wear that cost as a business, right. uh, in my opinion, and, uh, because you know, it's, uh, well, it's not fair to pass on a franchisee really. I mean, and, and the thing is, uh, if it is a franchise business, but, but, um, uh, but you or know, even to it, the end it, customer as well, even to the end. Exactly. Customer. And the thing is, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, you know, price is so important with fast food. It's everything. Like a dollar is like everything right yeah the difference between 599 and is massive right people people drive decisions on a dollar all the time in fast food so you know for us to go into this market and say well it costs us more so now it's going to be ten dollars for a burger well the model doesn't work anymore so you know you, you, you can't you almost have to just accept like yeah we're, we're it's just going to cost us a lot more on the first one but then by the tenth one you know it's uh at that point maybe we we build a u.s manufacturing center and then you know it's a lot less then so you kind of like have these like higher costs for a bit and then you increase your efficiency and you maybe put a manufacturing center in somewhere and then you lower them drastically and i think that's why i think that's the power of just really focusing on your revenue growth is, is so important as a young business like focus on the revenue growth because like then you can like kind of later on go back and like okay we're going to do this to cut our costs by 50%. And all of a sudden now you're a super profitable business with lots of revenue, right? So, um, which is better to be, I mean, the other, the other options, like, you know, you're, you don't have much revenue and then you're making, you're making money, but you're not, there's not much money there, total money, you know? So, so I think, again, I think it's, it's, it's all, it's all about, you know, sort of understanding that, um, that sort of like growth, growth process. Nice. Brilliant. You've shared so much helpful information, James. That's been wonderful. I think it's really useful for people to kind of get under the bonnet or the hood, as I think you can call it in America, um, you know, to of a business for people to know that because sometimes you can see people's success and they oh, I have no idea how to do that. So I really appreciate that you've you've given some really helpful advice um, along those lines. So everyone do check out Odd Burger or if you're interested in opening a franchise uh, with them or just going in and enjoying one of their <coughs> food uh, products it looks amazing I looked at the menu earlier today and it was making me hungry um, you can go to oddburger.com if you're watching the video that is that URL is scrolling along the bottom of your screen and if you're listening to the audio version of this episode that link will be on the show notes page James it's been an absolute pleasure I look forward to your global expansion I'm in Sydney Australia and I would love to <laughs> try an odd burger but hopefully next time I'm in Canada or the US I'll get to try them out but thank you so much for joining me it's been a real pleasure awesome thank you so much and it's been great having uh having you on the show so that's it for this episode of vegan business talk i hope you enjoyed it and found it useful if you like the show please give it a review on itunes or whatever platform you're listening on as it helps to get it seen by more people there are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.